0: Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical College's Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions, as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I am the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So... Have you ever been talking uh, to someone about race or racism, or discrimination, or any of those kinds of things, related topics, and the other person in the conversation said, you know, I don't even see race. I didn't even notice that you were, like in my case, Black. Um, but in any case, insert non-white race or ethnicity parenthetically, right? You didn't even notice. Um, or have you heard someone say, I don't care if you're Black, white, white, green, purple polka-dotted, even though purple polka-dotted people and green people, to my knowledge, don't exist at this time, um, those folks may embrace knowingly or not the idea of social colorblindness. On today's show, um, we're going to unpack this ideology, why it's harmful, and why it really only serves to uphold white supremacy. My guests for this conversation today are Richard Bahas from University of Wisconsin-Madison and Melanie Reagan from Cornell University. Hi. How are you both? Hi. I'm
1: doing
2: great.
0: Great, great. So um, as is our custom on the show, I'd like for both of you to kind of tell us a little bit about that. So, Melanie, why don't we start with you?
1: Hi, well, I'm Melanie Reagan. I am the Assistant Dean for Inclusion and Academic Excellence at Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine and the director of a recently launched program in the uh, college called the Dean's Leaders Program.
0: Great. And Richard?
2: Well, uh Richard Barajas, uh, he him pronouns. I'm the assistant dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion uh at the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, and and I always like to to say so I was born and raised in Sterling, Illinois, um, but I grew up in Mexico City. So spent my mom was from Mexico City, spent a lot of time in Mexico City, and I think that encapsulates uh my experience very well. So bit about me.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So now that we've gotten those introductions, and now we can talk about the I don't even see color comments. So Richard, why don't we start with you? What is social colorblindness? What is it? What is this ideology that folks uh, really kind of embrace without actually knowing that they're embracing it? <laughs>
2: So it's really kind of this ideology, right? Those, um, you know, we talked about, it's like, I don't see color. I don't see people in the street. It's like, well, I don't see difference. And it's like, wait, but wait a minute, but you're missing an important part of who I am, right? If you're not seeing this. And I think it's a way for people to say, well, I'm not biased. I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. Like that's really the proxy, right? That they're trying to say, uh, instead of kind of realizing but society is, right? And so um, if we're not if we're not seeing these things, if we're not, not seeing these differences, um, we're really missing a whole lot, right? And we're missing a lot of who we are as individuals. And we're missing a lot of the systemic structures of inequality that exist, right? And not really addressing that. So yeah. just a yeah. quick, quick version.
0: So, yeah. So that's, you know, it is kind of this proxy, right? Um and so, so Melanie, and I'm sure I'm going to assume that all three people on this call have heard at <laughs> some point or another <laughs> some variations of the sentences that I said earlier, right? So, so Melanie, um, you know, I'd love for you to weigh in on on kind of you know social colorblindness. Um, you know, anything else to add to to Richard's kind of description?
1: Uh, not much. I mean, I think that's, he did a really good job. Um, And I think a lot of it goes towards just wanting to say, I am not a part of perpetuating what we know to be true, right? And so if I don't see your color, the thing that we do know, right, um, is a part of our experience, then I am not perpetuating that. But, you know, the definition of blindness is not seeing. And so unless you are that, you do see that, Right and um so what i hear oftentimes in terms of social color blindness or racial is that i'm really disengaging from mm-hmm. right what it is that i know because i can see it just makes me uncomfortable to acknowledge and to see it so i'll, I'll focus on the other aspects of you that i think are, are um you know less are more comfortable
0: yes yes those things that um you know, when you start kind of looking at the literature around, you know, racial or social colorblindness, it really is about, okay, well, I'm really going to focus on the ways that you are like me versus the ways that you aren't. And, and so, you know, the most obvious thing then becomes race, right? And so if I'm not going to do that, and then I'm going to focus on all the things that are, make us um, similar, the commonalities, that's, that's, in theory, great (laughs) on the surface. Right. And there is an important component of life um, that we should focus on the commonalities, but the, but with this particular ideology, the other piece that's not said is I'm looking for the ways in which you carry whiteness. Right. Um, So, you know, and how, when we unpack it in that kind of way, it's really uncomfortable. It makes it more uncomfortable. <laughs> so, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think just to, to jump in quickly, then when you put that in the context of, of the U S right, of the United States and kind of this ideology, this American dream, whatever you want to call it of, but we're all just created equal, right? We're all the same. And, and we all in what, inalienable rights and kind of constitution and all that type of stuff and it's like it's easy to say like, but no like see we just hear this from from birth right as as americans if we grew up in this country of here's why we're great as the united states because we don't see difference we we're, we're all the same we're all equal and it's it makes sense of why people make that connection, right? And why we hear this so often and in our day-to-day. Um, and oftentimes it is our day-to-day, right? In the work that we do of like, but no, I'm just trying to live up to the ideals of the country. And it's like, yeah, yeah but you're missing the, how the country was founded on. that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sense, right? so. so, yeah, I mean, and and so Melanie, you kind of really kind of started to, to really dig into that discomfort piece. Um, and so, you know, why do people really, why do people choose this path (laughs) to kind of, I guess, take on or rather avoid taking on racial issues around social justice, racial equity, social equality, all of those kinds of things?
1: I think it's layered, right? And it could be that they don't even know they're doing it, right? It just is, they have good intentions. I want to, in their minds, I think, dig deeper, right? And deeper is for them not seeing color, but that is kind of diminishing right all of the other aspects of who that person is because as people of color we wear it and everything that we do where we live how we eat you know everything about us is determined by our color um i think also they try to equalize right especially if you're from the majority population let's equalize this interaction by removing your color but that doesn't uh help either because we're not sharing um, experiences, right? That can enrich both of our, our lives and experiences. Mm-hmm.
0: So is social or racial colorblindness inherently bad? What's, what's problematic about it aside from the fact that, you know, it is
1: la, 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 la. I don't see
0: <laughs> these things, you know, what makes
1: yeah, it I bad? I think it, it, I mean, kind of what we're discussing is that it just diminishes, right, all of the, the things that a person brings to the table. So I don't think the intent is often bad, but social and racial color blindness is bad, right? Um, and usually it's not people of color saying it, right? It's, it's the other way around because we acknowledge that those differences, um, whatever they are, cultural, uh, color, um, make us who we are. And so the intent often is not bad, but I think that the impact of the comment is.
0: Thanks for that kind of distinction between impact and, and intent. It's something that we talk a lot about in social justice work that yeah, we don't know that you didn't mean it, <laughs> um, but I need you to focus on how it landed, right? Richard, it looked like you were about to say something.
2: <laughs> no, I was just nodding, yes, impact versus intent, right? There's lots of discussions around. Um, yeah, it wasn't my my intent to have have, you know, this term, I'm just trying to to treat everyone equally, it's like, okay, but what are we actually saying? What's the impact on people and, and individuals that's crucial to, to the work that we all do?
0: So so what is the real impact? I mean, certainly we know that, that there is um, uh, the immediate impact of being felt like, oh, okay. I mean, when I was growing up, I'll be... <laughs> shocking to people right that are are familiar with the show I'm so blunt like my parents were not glass makers like like there's a whole like situation going on right here um but when you kind of look at some of the literature um you know what does some of the 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 literature I guess say about what this impact is
2: yeah I can I can add to that and so really and, and it it makes sense when you start to connect the dots right and so if If we have this ideology of like, oh, well, everyone's equal, everyone's the same, I'm not seeing difference, I'm not seeing race, well, then you're also not seeing the system that that we all have to participate in. And so if I don't see that you're a Latino person... It's like, well, you're not seeing then all the barriers that exist in the country just by growing up Latino, right? Like if you look at all the data and access to healthcare and access to opportunities and access to all these different things, it's like, well, then you're also ignoring that. And if we're ignoring that, that means we're not addressing it, right? And so, at the root cause, we're not fixing any of, any of the societal structural issues that, that we're all trying to address and fix. And so, so yes, it helps us kind of avoid this conversation of race, but it makes us avoid this, this conversation on a whole lot of different levels. I don't know, Melanie, if you had anything to add there.
1: I'll, yeah, I'll just kind of expand on that because I think to get even more specific, right, we see the impacts of this in the educational system, you know, younger children being punished, particularly Black children, right? We see it in the the uh, prison system, right, that um, housing. We see it in so many different aspects. And if we aren't acknowledging, right, then we aren't, as you said, Richard, um fixing the system we aren't being self-reflective we aren't doing the things and really focusing in on the things that can happen um and where change really needs to be made i mean the past what two three years with uh the killings of black men and the the shootings you know black church shootings all of these things um as you're saying connecting the dots to being colorblind but i think a lot of that relates to you know I'm uncomfortable, but I don't wanna make you uncomfortable, but it's like, you're making me uncomfortable by saying it and we're not really getting to, right? The root of the problem and the bigger conversations that we can be having that can really make an impact on the structures and the systems um, in place.
0: Uh, Yeah, so, you know, when we also look at the, the, a lot of the literature is certainly talking about these things like, you know, uh, it means that folks aren't seeing um, or not valuing the diver- what diversity brings to the table, right? Um, um, if, in fact, you don't see color and, and that's kind of a, a large scale kind of thing, like you don't see race, you don't believe in race and and it's rainbows and flowers, then you can just hire anybody off the street. It really doesn't matter <laughs> because you're going to get the same thing, right? We're all the same. And so, um, but when we talk about kind of this socialization, we also find, especially like, you know, um, uh, um, there's some really great articles on parenting and the socialization of colorblindness in children. And, um, you know, parents are like trying, I mean, as a parent, like, (laughs) let me just say, (laughs) Good luck to anybody that's parenting because this is like the hardest job. Um, and I know that folks are just doing the best they can. But when we kind of um, uh, socialize our kids to believe this and buy into this ideology, it also means that they um, are unaware and unable to kind of see, um, bias, um, and that whatever they see in terms of, you know, um, the extrajudicial, uh, killings, um, um, the housing things, all of the things that you mentioned, Melanie, that they, they actually just grow up believing that marginalized people choose (laughs) those lives rather than are actually marginalized or experiencing oppression. Um, And it really kind of hinders their ability to fully participate because they're just kind of like, okay, those people make those decisions um, and it's no one's fault. They should make different decisions.
1: Any thoughts on, on that? I completely agree. I just, um, yeah, it's hard for me. So I grew up in Southern California, San Diego and around, right. I went to uh, high school, like five minutes from the border, you know, and we're just all kind of aware of, you know, the different things, but we all kind of like supported each other. This idea of kind of colorblindness, right. Just was not, didn't exist. And then as I move out into the world and so what I realized is just understanding what these things mean, even, I think this may be a whole other topic, but, you know, race as a so- social construct even, right. And all these words that we, we use and in having individuals understand them, even people of color, sometimes you get so academic in our discussions around them that we, um, kind of even ourselves remove and disengage in a way, but teaching it, how do we teach children? How do we teach those around us to engage differently? You know, particularly those that are, um, are in the majority and that it's, um, it's a hard one. It's a, it's, it's a really hard topic to tackle. And um, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you've said, Lisa, Richard.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think it does, you know, thinking about this ideology, it does a disservice to individuals, right? When we think about, you're going to have to deal with difference, right? You're just going to have to. And so when we, to, to localize it, right? To think about our, our veterinary medicine environment and the students that we're working with, like for me myself, like how much more additional work and development could I do if our faculty or staff or students are in this environment already knowing that no, you know, colorblindness is, is, is a bad thing. And like all these systemic things exist and we need to work on them. And, um, it's not just because people don't work hard enough that they're not in veterinary school, right. All those things. Like if that, if that framework didn't exist, like how much more progress can we make? Right. Just off of, off of that. And so, um, you know, we often think, I'm not a parent, right? But I I can imagine as a parent, you want to to make the world as as easy for for your child as possible. And you think, oh, well, this is the way to do it, right? Like, you just don't see difference. And it's like, actually, you've done the opposite, right? You've made it harder because difference exists, and you're going to have to interact and deal and, and connect and build connections. And at the end of the day, especially in veterinary medicine, like, your it affects patient care at the end of the day and so um yeah so. yeah
1: so yeah please Melanie um to add to that i think one of the things that i think was that you know social racial color blindness is right clearly because you can see it but this idea of difference and understanding that there's so many different elements of ourselves right that we focus so much on color that we're missing out on all of the dif- other differences, right? Representations, types of diversity that kind of are layered into this to some mm-hmm. extent, right? That, um, right, if I'm, my co- I'm uh, di- I have a disability and I'm black or I am, and, right, that all of these things are then ignored because then you start saying, well, if you're colorblind, but have a disability are you going to ignore that too, right? And then how do we address that? So all of these things are layered to me, but we get in basically because of the history of the US, right? We are stuck in kind of this black and white mindset, but there's all of these other layered components
0: that's such a great, uh, great point. And it it brings me to an article that I found. Um, There's lots of literature on this, and I will certainly um, drop the link in the show notes, but the article is called um, Who is More Likely to Not See Race? Um, Individual Differences in Racial Colorblindness Out of the Race and Social Problems Journal. Um, And And uh, if I can just get it to scroll up, um, there's a a line here that I think is really important, Um, and it, you know, certainly it continues to focus on race. But your point is is well taken, Melanie. That it is like, oh, okay, so you don't see the person who is in the wheelchair as African American. Okay, so you're saying you don't see that. Do you also not see the wheelchair? (laughs) Right. 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 Do right. you also not see that? And the literature basically says, yes, that that there will that this kind of blindness just kind of continues to carry through. And, you know, in in a time these last two years after the murder of George Floyd, of course, people were like, I want to be anti-racist. Great! <laughs> right? I want to be anti-racist. Great. Great. Do that. However, this is not the path to to anti-racism. And and to quote the article, it says, although many people um, who endorse racial colorblindness believe that they're being anti-racist, there is evidence that racial colorblindness is associated with negative behaviors and attitudes toward racial and ethnic minorities. Um, And so, you know. It, it, it really is just kind of papering over um, things like, okay, I'll tell a really bad pet analogy. Uh, growing up, I had this pet rabbit and um, uh, we put down um, pretty Kitchen contact paper and is hutched because it was. I, we thought it would make it easier for me to clean his cage on the weekends, um, and apparently he thought the contact paper was pretty too. So he just pulled it up, did his business, and then patted it back down. That is social culture, <laughs> right? You're just kind of papering it over, and really, there's still a mess up under there. Um, but. Yeah, it is kind of contagious. There is a uh, an element of blindness that is um, that is present in all of these different kind of identity um, dimensions that we typically talk about in you know social justice or DEI work. Um, and so, yeah, it is the I don't see I don't see the African American person in the wheelchair. I mean. Right. So we're all just gonna pretend like we don't see that,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right? And it takes away like personal accountability too, right? Because it's more of, in not even a self-reflective way, right? It's more about I am uncomfortable with this, and therefore I'm not going to deal with it. But then what that stops individuals from doing is being kind of agents of change in their own spaces, right? Because then I'm just not seeing anything about my environment, Um, and so it it takes away that kind of personal accountability. It does. It does. And it also really is a a barrier to
0: learning, right? Right, If if you say that you're blind, there's no reason for you to learn more. There's no impetus. It is like, okay, well, that's a thing. And um, I don't see it. I'm just gonna pretend it's not there. And so then you never learn the language. You don't ask, you know, it's like pronouns. What are those like? you know um, you don't really attempt to kind of move along in your personal development journey Richard
2: yeah and it's you don't you don't develop your skills right in in kind of intercultural communication and kind of partnership building and so okay like if that happens and you're with some colleagues and they do have those skills like, okay, well then maybe they can like say a a client comes in and um, maybe that person can help. But if you're, again, if you're the only veterinarian in in the room and you don't have that skill set, you're doing a disservice to your clients, right? You're not, you're not going to ultimately have the patient outcomes that we all want you to have, right? And even that individual wants to have. So, I think that's a great point.
1: Well, I think it's a great. T- yes, please, Melanie. So just to add to that, I think that's an important point, because when you think about like colorblindness and patient care, really, and the kind of space you occupy, especially if you're in the majority, being colorblind versus color conscious. Right. Is that I know when I need to defer. I know I understand when I need to bring some other uh skill set, some other individual into this space so that we are providing the best service, but also just not just in a, from a professional standpoint, it helps for opportunities for growth, right? In our personal space that we then bring into our professional space as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. And so,
0: <clears throat> and, and talking about veterinary medical education then you know certainly um all of our member institutions have been advocating for you know cultural competence in the curriculum cultural humility in the curriculum and big fan as well big proponent written a number of chapters done all the things right we are all like deeply embedded in this stuff um and you know when i started talking about the problems around colorblindness a few years ago, People were like, why is that a problem? And how does it fit into, like, how is that different from cultural competence? Like, if I see everybody, you know, air quote, equally, and I see everybody as you know, the same, whatever, whatever their, whatever their benchmark same is, right? Cause there still has to be a benchmark. Um, then how, why is this a problem? Why is this a problem? And so, um, for folks that are watching and we have a lot of people watching today live, the chat is open. Um, but I wanted to, to, to get both of your reactions to a graphic. I don't get to do graphics that often on the show. And don't worry if you are a listener. You will, uh, I will link to the graphic um, uh, in the show notes. But this is kind of the continuum for cultural competency. And it goes from cultural destructiveness to cultural proficiency. And however we all think about, I mean, I know, I don't know a DEI professional who doesn't have uh, an opinion and perspective on cultural competence models, Um, but I just kind of wanted to bring everybody's attention to the fact that cultural blindness is on the continuum. And it's before cultural pre So, you know, it's, it's, it's what I call like, you know, discrimination, not light, but, <laughs> you know, um, you're almost to almost there of getting out of the bad part. <laughs> and so I'd love to hear some of your reactions to, to this. Do you think that this is an, uh, adequate kind of placing for it. Um, and uh, in your experience in working with our communities, you're both relatively new, still in Vet Med. <clears throat> How do you see us falling on this concern?
1: <laughs> um, I, well, I, I, this seems fairly accurate in terms of right cultural, if we start from colorblindness, that's just complete right lack of kind of awareness. And then we kind of move into that space where I'm aware right now, maybe um, I know where I'm lacking. I may take action, I may not. And then you kind of move into this space where you get into the proficiency and the humility, meaning I know what I don't know. I need to learn more. I'm taking active measures and being self-reflective and doing the things that I need to do so that I can create space and amplify the voices of individuals, right, that um, may not have the opportunity, and then becoming proficient. So, you know, I think that med, you know, I think we all agree is a bit behind, right? But I think that there are strides being made, and it's going to take a while, but just the fact that we're having these discussions, and it's not Now, you know, we were at a place where we were just putting people in positions, right? And they all happened to look the same, you know, kind of thing. But I think now we're seeing a real financial investment, which makes a difference, right? You just can't have one person doing all of it, just kind of taking up space, so to speak, right? There has to be some real investment in it. And that's kind of what I'm seeing. And so it seems to be a stronger community um, in vet med. Yeah.
2: Yeah and I think there's more engagement around on the fact that that we're all understanding like this is all our work right of course I think it's important to have a point person at your institution and more and more schools of veterinary medicine colleges of veterinary medicine are doing that to to have someone kind of kind of be the the person who's shaping the policy right of what we're going to going to work towards um with the understanding of yeah, but we all have a role to play in this, right? And we all have an important role. I think with that cultural blindness with the with the continuum, right? I think a lot of a lot of us, right, are, are kind of in that space. And and when you think about it, it's almost as well. I want to treat everybody the same because I don't want to make any mistakes, right? I think most people are well intentioned and don't want to hurt people. And it's like, well, actually, it's the opposite. Because you're treating everybody the same, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes, right? Because um, not everybody's the same. But, but yeah, I think it's the 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 understanding is is growing and growing, and the understanding that we all need to focus on this, we all need to work on this. Um, and and in many ways, we've had successes at the student level, right? Of, of diversifying our student population, and in ways that. I believe that's pushing us, right? Our students are pushing us to be like, no, nah, we got to think about these things, right? And and hopefully the goal, right, is that that starts to, those students go into the faculty route and go into other routes and upper administration and all those things.
0: I, I want to point out one thing that you, you said, um, Richard, where you talked about kind of the, the policy development piece, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important for folks to understand that if you're embracing this kind of um, colorblind ideology, know that 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 is gonna show up in your decision making. Right. It's gonna, It's not just a oh, Richard and Melody. I don't really see your color. See different. And um, but you're gonna actually develop policies and procedures that. Um, don't um, that don't uh, acknowledge people right. Right? Um, that don't um, that that don't acknowledge people that um, actually um, double down on any existing inequities um, you're gonna just kind of actually exacerbate those yeah because you're unwilling to acknowledge that they exist in the first place
2: yeah and then you're going to wonder why are all our minoritized faculty and staff leaving or why aren't we getting the student population that you know we say that we want it's like well it's because of all the policies we're putting into place
1: right
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right i mean, we have unintentionally maybe created a situation that is not inclusive and potentially actually a bit chilly and hostile. Um, not always. And it's certainly, it's not intentional. And I do think that, um, you know, when you look at that continuum, you've got the, you know, folks that are, um, very, um, racist you've got, or sexist or transphobic or fill in the blank, all of the isms, all of the nasty stuff is at that end. But when you are in that um, area um, where you have kind of said, you know, colorblindness, that's that's cool. I can get down with that. It also means that you there's no motivation to move forward, but you're already out of the worst part of it. (laughs) Right. You're already out of the worst part of it. So. Um, so one of the most common refrains that, that we hear related to colorblind ideologies is, um, and it, and it vexes me whenever I hear it, especially in the wonderful month of January, but, you know, um, we've all heard the lines of no MLKs. I have a dream speech where, you know, um, a lot of folks have overlaid this ideology on on you know his comments about um I I want my kids you know to be able to to be judged by the content of their character and not um skin color. Um, and I've always said yeah but you, you gotta look at it in the full context. <laughs> so you know one is anybody as vexed about that as me and two um how do each of you kind of Tackle that when when someone maybe on campus is like, yeah, well, you know, if we were just like MLK, and I'm like, yeah, you should read, you know, a Letter from Birmingham. You'll you'll see a different Okay. <laughs> so how do you, you know, does it vex you, and uh, how do we respond to it,
1: Melanie? It does, and I I am trying to think because I hadn't. Until this moment, right, it kind of came together that I it does kind of like bother me a little bit. I mean, but it has bothered me before. But, you know, some things take a little a yes, little time yeah. to gel. But I. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree, because what it's you know, it's when it's taken out of context, it's like, yes, it's kind of like my color is not the only thing. Right. And my character is not tied to my color. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is that you have to look at me as the whole Right. Right. Which is all of these things have made and shaped me. Um, how I don't have a really good answer at the moment for how to address it. Right. Other than to explain it, you know, or to kind of work against that through conversations, dialogue, putting myself in spaces that I hope I'm approachable and that these conversations and shifting kind of the mindset Right, um <clears throat> that um, yeah, that we are more than a month or we're more than a day or you know one versus the other and realizing that no matter who you are, right, if you're you're rural and white, that has shaped you. Right. Mm-hmm. If you are black and from somewhere, that has shaped you in some way. And so kind of getting past this kind of black and whiteness, right? And versus color versus character, when all of these things together are important in seeing, um, everybody as a whole and yeah. right. Not different.
2: Yeah. And I think it's more getting at, I think a lot of times there are a lot of associations where it's like, if you're this skin color, okay. redlining. I'm not going to have access to housing. Right. And so like eliminating that is kind of just the first step, like, okay, at least, my skin color alone isn't limiting my access to to mortgage loans, right? Like that's a big deal. Um, but then, like in the big picture, it's like, well, we're never going to get rid of different experiences, and they're all valuable and they're they're super important, and they've made us who we are, right? But really, what what we're trying to look at, and and with Dr. King's quote, right, is but. I want to make sure that those different lived experiences aren't the only reason why I have lack of access, right? Just because I've had, I grew up in a rural area means that um, I can't have access to X, Y, or Z, right? Like that reason alone shouldn't limit your ability to succeed as, as an individual in this country. right?
0: And and thanks for bringing up um, role. This is a, um, you know, um, our, Applicant pools, roughly about 20 to 25% rule in any given year. Um, and, you know, I'm always hearing, well, we need to recruit more rural kids. And, and I'm like you know, and they're like, instead of (laughs) all, you know, it's never like in addition to, but it's usually in a, instead of, you know, um, racial, ethnic, minoritized folks or um, LGBT folks or whatever the the, the categories might be. And I'm like, okay, so let's break that down. Um, So one, um, you know, uh, uh, what is it about, students from rural backgrounds that you're looking for. Well, they have a unique um, lived experience, ding, Um, you know, they have a unique lived experience. And I think that, you know, they might be more interested in practicing in, you know, rural areas because they're comfortable. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you know, um, there might be actually something to that. But the other piece of it is that the demographics, and I'm often telling people, I'm like, when you look at the applicant portfolio of the average student from, you know, um, rural background and the average student from urban inner city background, um, the profiles are Almost identical. There's usually just one thing <laughs> that's different, and it's often race. Um, they're they're still um, more likely to be lower income. They're more likely to be first generation. They're more likely to have had um, you know some type of limited access. Um, their high schools or whatever don't are less likely to have you know AP and uh, IB. Per, all of these things, right? They're almost the same, and so it's like, okay, well. So you get that there's a lived experience thing that we're looking for (laughs) over here. There's also a lived experience thing that we're looking for over there just, you know, is presenting a little bit differently. Um, Do you have those kind of conversations with your admissions folks? Everybody's on mute.
1: Go ahead, Richard.
2: Yeah, so I think it's trying to have more of those conversations of just one, because then it also rolls into like the implicit biases, right? We have, and it's like, oh well, I don't see this over here, but I see why the lived experience over here is important, right? Like just how you're mentioning Lisa, and so, and even it's like this is a barrier that we have to keep trying to to self reflect on, right? Like and just Bring that awareness as a committee. Bring the and say, why are we looking at the criteria? We look at is it valid to look at this criteria? That's why I think a lot, a lot of us as schools have gotten rid of right standardized testing. Right, saying like, well, this isn't really as useful as we thought it was, and it's not really giving us anything that that it's creating more barriers. Right, more than anything. Um, so, yeah, I think those are important conversations that we continue to have here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison with our admissions committee. Um, and you continue to have them, right? Because one, development is always continual, but also you're bringing in new members, right? And then you're trying to also uh, uh, acculturate them, right, <laughs> to, to, to this, and um, it's crucial, it's important. And you know, Melanie at Cornell.
1: I would say the same. That I know um, admissions, the, the the various committees are always having these conversations. We've had these conversations, so I think it's just ongoing and you know um, evolving. You know, as uh, understanding evolves, right, and learning evolves, what's needed. So yeah, I don't have much to add. All
0: right. So there are a lot of really well-intentioned folks out there um, who want to do good work. They want to be anti-racist. They want to be um, allies for for everyone um, with marginalized identities but they're kind of stuck <laughs> in this kind of colorblind thing, right? Um, so what are some of the alternatives? What some, some kind of um, recommendations do you have to help folks kind of move past this, kind of get out of um, that colorblindness? Which I also want to um, just say, too, is that a lot of folks are like, oh, yes, we are post-racial one we're not. But two, I think that this idea and notion of post-racial post, you know, ableist post whatever it is 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 another form of colorblindness. <laughs> it's like we're just going to jump fast and say all that stuff is in the rearview mirror. So so yeah, what are your recommendations for folks who might be stuck in this particular stage of, you know, cultural competence development? Melanie? Yeah.
1: This is hard, right? Because I think part of it is aspirational, right? People, this is where people want to be, right? We we just aren't there, um. And how to do it is a harder one because I think it's very, it's very personal, right? This kind of uh, development, and part of it is knowing, uh, is I, I always go back to this kind of self reflection, right? What are kind of your limits, right? Um, there's no expectation that you like everything, right, that you accept everything, just that you see it and you acknowledge it so that you don't do harm, right, um, and that even if you don't like something, just challenge yourself to understand it, right, um, to learn, to put yourself in situations where you are uncomfortable, uh, engage with other people, ask questions, right, Um, And, you know, kind of read the room. I think oftentimes we kind of get in these situations where people will make these jokes. Oh, I'm just trying to be funny. Like, no, it's not funny. It's harmful. Um, And going back to the colorblind, well, I don't see it. I just make jokes, but they're harmful to people in the room. And you have to know who's in the room, what is acceptable and what isn't. So I think it's like reflection, dialogue, learning, um, and just trying, you know, basic understanding. Um, is what it comes down to, and and just knowing what your own limits are and acknowledging them.
2: Yeah, I think putting yourself in situations where you're listening far more than you're talking, right? I think for um, a lot of us in this, this vet med space, we're used to being the expert right and whatever it might be and whatever my field might be and so i need to talk more than i than i listen because i'm the expert in this and in this work there are no don't no no experts right it's it's well go in and listen and put yourself in situations that you're not comfortable in and don't talk when you're in those situations right like just listen and hear what people are saying and try to process it and try to then self-reflect on well why might this individual think this way? And why do I think the way that I do if you're, if I'm thinking differently and kind of breaking down my own experience and my own process and reaching out to your resources, right? Like we've said, a lot of schools of vet med now have a position such as ours. And it's like, well, reach out to them. Like that's, I'm, I'm always happy to come and talk and chat with people individually, one-on-one or in groups and try to kind of help people and, and learn together in search you know we all have professional development opportunities and i think we all fall into the habit of well this is what i like to do and this is where i'm comfortable and so let me do that right if if i'm a cardiologist let me go to this cardiology conference and of course yes that's important you need to learn what's on the cutting edge and what's coming up and sure one of the silver linings of (coughs) kind of this this increased focus on diversity, equity, inclusion <clears throat> is now whatever conference you go to, there's going to be a track that's DEI, right? And so, like, make sure you do that. Make sure you participate in that. Um, in kind of even the more uncomfortable spaces, uh, perhaps for some individuals, it's like, I like to go to the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity, right? And so it's like, okay, something that you're like, yeah, I'm totally uncomfortable here. It's a like, go do it, participate in it once, and you will learn something, right? You you will gain something from it. Um, it doesn't have to be every single year because again, we have there's there's lots of goals we all have, but every now and again, try try something uncomfortable, stretch, exactly, yes. exactly.
0: Yeah, stretch. Um, I think that is also important for folks to know, and I've done shows before on um, microaggressions, but um, you know, when I hear someone go, oh, Lisa, I don't even see color. And I'm like, oh, well, there was a microaggression that just flew right off, flew right on by, flew just like a, you know, bee, just buzzed right on by. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, um I'll, I'm getting ready to ask. So, you know, for those of us who are on the receiving end of these comments, or you know, the why don't you just want to be like MLK? And I'm like, I really do want to be like okay, um, but but not quite in the way that you're interpreting it. Um, you know, there is this moment of of harm. There is a moment of harm, right? That is kind of that microaggression. And it's, and, and we know that microaggressions are, are rarely intended. They're kind of usually like these flip comments and, um, you know, but um, I am also very aware that we are living in an environment where um, um, it feels like almost everyone is more reactionary, right? So, so, and I'm not saying let all the microaggressions slide. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but, you know, um, what are some, some tricks of the trade, I guess, in terms of re- reacting in those moments in, in ways that are, um, that don't escalate, but also ways that, um, that, Demonstrate that there is some harm done in those in that moment, and not kind of this blame thing. But there are, there is these moments of accountability, right? So so, folks on the receiving end of the no color declarations, what advice and counsel can you offer them <laughs> in their interactions? <laughs> Besides flying off, or going to Twitter, or going to TikTok, or going to wherever, Melanie.
1: This is, you know, it's hard. And I think that it really depends, right, on circumstance, environment, where you are. Personally, I'm probably a little more blunt and, right, um, in how I would address it. But, you know, in depending on where you are and how much you value relationships, right, with that person or in the group, whatever it is, um, let it slide. Because oftentimes we're put in a position of always having to teach having to, you know, bring someone along. And so we have to make the decisions about whether we want to do that, right? Is it worth our time and effort or do we just let it slide and keep it moving, do something else or address it in an email or, you know, say, you know, I don't mind you admiring my color um, as long as you admire my other attributes and I'm happy to share with you, right? Or um, help you learn more about it, you know, or something like that. If you enjoy, know the interaction that you have with someone but it's really about what that dynamic right and how egregious right or um the the aggression macro micro right the aggression is and how i would approach it but i think it's really just about how you feel in the moment but taking also a step back because i think kind of like we were talking earlier we're all in a place of being tired and frustrated. Right. And giving these things a little bit of thought ahead of time. So you have some, some things in your back pocket that you can pull out, depending on the circumstance that will help you navigate. Right.
2: Yeah. And I think so much as, as Melanie mentioned, so much as the context, right. Of, um, you know, it'll differ for maybe how I might interact with an individual um, because this is what I do, right? And so this is what I do every day and I need times to recharge as well. But it's different if, you have, if you've experienced a lot and kind of know how to navigate things, Um But also power dynamics, right? Like I think oftentimes students might be like, "Oh, well, I feel like I need to say something, but this person's grading me, or this person is this or that, and so like, "Uh," like, and so then you kind of then wrestle internally and feel like you you failed yourself because you maybe you didn't address something, and if you don't address something, like that's that's okay too, right? At the end of the day. You have to take care of yourself and put yourself in the best position um, because if 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 you burn out, then you can't you can't advance the work, right? You can't advance the cause. But I think it's important to say, like, oftentimes it it can be little things, and be like, here's a podcast for you to listen to, right? Or a YouTube video. Here's Dr. Greenhill did something on this. Here you go. Can you watch this at your own leisure, right? And then then maybe we can discuss or. Um, wanna and as you build those relationships you can have more and more conversations. So I had to just the tough thing is sometimes it's just like okay this is really harmful and really hurtful and like just something has to be said in the moment. It doesn't have to be this big escalation just kind of like hey that wasn't very cool. And we'll circle back around to this, but I just needed to kind of point this out and say um, this is creating maybe more harm depending on who else is kind of in the environment, right? So it's it's a tricky thing because there isn't a A plus B, you do C, right? Like there's just so many permutations, contacts matter so much. Uh, and I think that's what makes this work hard, right? It'd be easy. It should be like, oh, here's the 15 things you shouldn't do, right? And as long as you don't do this, then we're good. But um, it's, it's it's a hard thing to address.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but really great advice, you know, um, proximity. How how close are you kind of emotionally invested with this person? Um, you know, is there a power dynamic? And if there is, you might actually want to deal with this later on email, like, hey, this thing happened and didn't really make me comfortable. And, um, you know, I think that that the thing with microaggressions also is that um, because they tend to be these kind of cumulative paper cuts. We think about them, you know, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, 17 hours later, it still might be on the brain. And by then, like, you're really pissed, right? <laughs> and so, um, But it might not be in the moment. Um, so, you know, pick and choose. And the saddest thing that I tell people is if you choose not to deal with it in that moment, unfortunately, there's so much work for all of us to do you'll probably get another opportunity to to practice tomorrow, Um, you know, but, but um, one thing that I did uh, want to mention, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. There are a few folks in my life that um, know I love this particular TikToker. Her name is Claire um, and her account is Clara Bell C W B uh, C L A R A B E L L E C W B. Anyway, Claire, Clarabelle, takes uh, microaggressive behavior um, and um, she takes all of the things and really flips it, right? So what if folks of color were the dominant culture And so she acts out these scenarios. They are hilarious and they're hilarious because of how close to the truth they actually are. But just again with, um, you know, the cast of characters kind of flipped around and and I share it with a lot of folks because it's sometimes so hard to see yourself. Like in that other position to kind of see how that might land, um, to kind of really um, um, try to connect. And I and I oftentimes uh recommend Clarabelle because her her uh take on these things is it's very ironic, it's you know funny, um, but it really hits hard, um, in terms of um, oh, this is. Oh that's what that sounds like coming out of my mouth That probably <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that again. <laughs> now that I hear it like kind of more directed, what if it were directed at me? I might actually be able to kind of wrap my head around um, you know what that means. So great discussion. Um, any parting words for the folks?
1: I I think you made an excellent point of just trying to find opportunities to put yourself in the other person's shoes, right. And figuring out how you would experience it. I think that's, that's great.
2: Yeah. And I'll just, I guess, parting words say, um, yeah, this work is hard, right? Like this work is hard. It's going to take a lot of effort. Um, if it was easy, we wouldn't be having these discussions. And so, um, Thank you to all of you to keep trying, right? Keep listening. And if someone says, eh, I don't know if that's what you were trying to say or if that's the intention of, you know, that you're colorblind, I think this might be a little misinterpretation. And like validate those people, right? Listen to them, ponder it, process it. Don't have the immediate reaction of like, but I'm not racist. And so whatever, right? So um, keep doing the work. Uh, I thank you for it. You know, that's, that's what we're here to do.
1: Yeah. All right. Thank you for having yeah. me, us. This is yeah, great. Thank
2: you, Lisa. Thank you, Melanie.
1: Thank you. All right, everybody, this has been another episode
0: of AABMC's Diversity and Inclusion On Air. To my guests, Melanie and Richard, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this really great discussion. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and like us on Facebook. We're at AABMC's Diversity and Inclusion On Air. And uh, we've got a lot of great shows coming up uh, uh, through the end of the summer.